Hello. Hey, cold open, guys. This is our Halloween episode. And we just wanted to say up front, listen to the end. We're going to announce our Halloween giveaway winners. I'm so excited. Yes. Stay tuned. All right. Let's get on with it. listening to Willie Pickton episodes this morning and I am nauseous. Oh no. If anybody knows anything about Willie Pickton. <laughs> it's disgusting. Ooh. Yeah. Um, based on the little bit that you told me. Yeah. Fascinating case though. How are you? Good, good. Hope good, everybody good. else is good. Happy Halloween. Welcome to the show. My name's Savannah. I'm Alicia. This is Burden of Proof. All right. Are we ready for this special episode? Yeah, we're doing a little Halloween special today. Yes, yes. So you get one true crime story and one paranormal spooky story. Yes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. All right. So I'm starting? Absolutely. All right. Well, this is going to be brief. Okay. There's a lot to this case, but there's not. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. It is quite the interesting case. A lot of people have covered it, so you may have heard of it before. The trick-or-treat murder. <gasps> so spooky. Um, it's not really that spooky. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just on it's on theme. I found it interesting. You know me, I always I have a knack for picking out uh interesting cases. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Weird things stand out to me yeah. or controversial things stand out to me. They do. So that's one of these cases. <laughs> okay, let's do it. All right. So envision, if you will. I'm picturing it. Halloween night, 1957. The place, picturesque, Sun Valley, California. Ooh, okay. Mr. P- Peter Fabiano and his wife. Mrs. Peter Fabiano. <laughs> what a name for the We're, 1950s. <laughs> Peter Fabiano here. He's and Mrs. Master. Peter Fabiano. Oh, she didn't have I, a first she name? She didn't have a first name. <laughs> okay. No, it was the 1950s. Well, you know, she's owned by Women. her husband. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Mrs. is her first name. Her, her name was Betty. Her oh, name okay. was Betty. <laughs> okay, good. She did. It was just a reference okay. to yes. Back in the days. Oh, I hate that. I remember seeing my grandmother's address labels, like the return labels yeah. that she had printed, said Mrs. And then my fa- grandfather's name. And that's so weird. Even as a six year old child, I was like, oh, no, that's not your name. <laughs> Why is that your name? That's not your name. And she's like, well, that's just what married couples. What? No. You're still you. <laughs> like, No, no, but you don't understand. You lose all identity when you get married. <laughs> Apparently. All of it. At least back then, yes. So, anywho, the Fabianos had spent the evening handing out candy to trick-or-treaters and were just settling into bed when the doorbell rang. I love handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to... Based on the face you're giving, I don't know if I'm going to love it after this. Um, well, just be careful. Okay. Maybe just don't answer the door after the trick-or-treaters are done okay, for it. the night. Because this was like at 11 p.m. 
Oh, yeah. You, so, it's past their bedtime. Like, trick-or-treat's over. Mm-hmm. Trick-or-treat. I don't know what they did in the 1950s, but trick-or-treat now is usually over by, like, 8, 9 p.m. at the latest. So Yeah. A lot of times you got school in the morning. Right. Right. Yeah. So, oh, that makes me miss Akron. Did they close the next day? No. They were so brilliant that they always had trick-or-treat the Saturday before or after Halloween. Oh. Usually the Saturday before. So you never had to worry about, like, That's your nice. kids being sugared up or getting to bed late Did they just, like, the make day. a Facebook announcement? <laughs> like, trick-or-treat is on the 24th or No, they, they would, like, have... Um, it would be in the newspaper. It would be like oh. trick or treat was a big deal in Akron. Okay. Like it was, it was pop- ever since we moved here. Wow, you have to like find the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the specific neighborhoods that do it. Akron yeah. was like anywhere you go, there's going yeah. to be trick or treat going. That's how on. Charlotte was. I'm that's where I'm originally from, and it's it's not like that here. No, it's not. And it's all these kids have sad. golf carts. Yeah, like, th- golf cart. Oh, and that's that's one of my pet peeves. Like I. I'm totally an advocate for give the teenage let teenagers trick or treat yes. too. I absolutely would, with one exception. I would still give them candy, but you only get one candy. Those kids that are walking and trick or treating, doing their due diligence to go door to door, you get two, three pieces of candy. You get like a little handful yeah. of candy. You teenagers that have your mothers driving you around and they only make you walk like a couple houses and then you get back in the car and ride up the block and nope, you get one candy. That's it. Yeah. You're not doing you're not doing work. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on the area you're in, but <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not working for you. It wasn't. They were so lazy. I will say people sometimes around here will decorate their golf carts and like dress them up as like a transformer well, or something and that i think is cute that's cute no this was just sheer laziness one time my brother dressed up as santa and he made his friend nice. an elf or no his friend was a reindeer my brother dressed up as santa and got <laughs> in a wagon and that was the sleigh and they dressed it up like a sleigh and then my brother's friend pulled them around all night like santa in the sleigh nice it was a great costume that is a great costume yeah this was a tangent <laughs> it was but it's halloween so yay okay so back to the story Peter gets up out of bed after the doorbell rings a couple times. Betty hears Peter as he approaches and opens the door say, isn't it kind of late for this sort of thing? She then hears a voice say, trick or treat, mother fudger. (laughs) Yeah, it was the 1950s. They didn't cuss. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, they, they didn't, didn't say actually say. T- oh, that would have been so much better. <laughs> I know. That been so much better. <laughs> that been so, better. so uh, <laughs> they did not. Uh, she just heard it. Uh, I believe she described it as a muffled voice, or like she said, it's either a woman trying to make. A that's m- me muffling my voice. <laughs> she said it was either a woman trying to sound like a a man, like deep in her voice, oh, okay. or it was a man trying to sound like a woman and like bring his voice. Up. So she wasn't sure. She couldn't give like a real good description. Yeah, that sounds like you just don't know. Yeah, but it. I think you would know. I think it was a fair assessment in that. She noticed that it just didn't sound like a natural voice. Okay, fair. You know, that it had been altered in some way. So they say no, yes or no or something to him. I think they said no. And that's all she heard. 
And then she hears a loud popping sound. She rushes to the front door and she finds Peter sprawled out on the floor bleeding and hears tires squealing as the perpetrator takes off. Unfortunately, the 38 caliber bullet had lodged directly under Peter's heart and he died on the way to the hospital or like right when they get to the hospital. Oh no. Police were not able to interview Betty fully right away. She was quite hysterical, and you know what they did with hysterical women back in the 1950s. Oh, no. She had to go to a mental hospital. No, not quite that bad. What did they do? But they sedate her. Like oh, she t- okay. <laughs> she well, took yeah, pills, yeah. and so she they couldn't like, really, like, talk and, you know. Just do some cocaine. It'll be fine. It'll feel better. <laughs> they wait, but as they wait, they start investigating, thinking there's, like, a like gang related or criminal you know like maybe what did peter get himself mixed up in oh peter you know he was always writing them bad checks so they look into peter's connections and his past just to see was he involved in any kind of illegal activity they found that peter was a world war ii vet that had been arrested on a minor bookmaking charge in 1948 he they was specifically, making books. He was making books. Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> so speaking of that, I wanted to say a shout out to Wine and Crime because they cover this case and it was phenomenal. They are hilarious. And that is one of the jokes that they made <laughs> was, oh, he's making books like old timey. Um, I also love their description of the Fabianos. Okay. Because there's one picture of them as a couple that you will find when you go to, you know, grab the pictures from the internet. And they describe (laughs) that Peter looks like an adult Eddie Munster. Okay. And he does. He really does. She's going to look it up now because she can't resist. And that Betty looks like, I believe it was something to the effect of, she looks like a model for a vacuum cleaner ad or commercial (laughs) in the 1950s. And they really do. That is an accurate description. Oh, wow. He does look like (laughs) He does look like an adult Eddie Munster. And she does look like, look, the perfect Christmas gift for your mom or your wife, Mrs. Peter Fabiano. (laughs) The new Dyson 3000. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. So please do find that. He he made books. No, he was a bookie back in the late 40s. Oh, he so, was a bookie. Yes, that's he what the book is. <laughs> I also didn't listen to the Wine and Crime episode, so I just made that up organically. Yes. I'm so funny. So um, but since then, since that arrest in 1948, he had cleaned up his act and they had moved to LA. And he became an upstanding citizen that owned a couple of successful beauty salons in the L.A. area. Well, in L.A., that's really popular. It was very fancy. Once they were able to interview Betty, you know, sober. Not her fault. she (laughs) She told them that she had no idea who would want to hurt Peter. But she also told them that she and Peter had recently reconciled their marriage that they had been having some issues, which I must say was not an entire surprise because this was a second marriage for Buddy. Oh. She had actually been married once before and had two teenage children okay. from that first marriage. So, you know, blended families are never easy 
even if only one of you has children, like I yeah. can just imagine that it's, you know, you got your problems. Everybody's got the problems. Yeah. So they separated for a time. And during that time, she mentions that she went to stay with a close friend of theirs, Joan Rabel. Okay. Who had previously worked in one of their salons. Betty tells police that Peter had fired Joan from the salons. And when she and Peter reconciled, not only did he fire Joan, but he demanded that Betty not see her nor ever speak her name again. Did he blame Joan? They were lovers. News reports at the time would go on to describe Betty and Joan's relationship as, quote, unusual. (gasps) With one report being bold enough to call them lovers. <gasps> oh my gosh, the story is so amazing. It's Halloween, there's a murder, and there's gays. In the 1950s. In the 1950s. Police follow up with Joan, who tells them that she and the Fabianos are the closest of friends. So she doesn't tell them. No. Well, of course not. That she no longer has contact. No, no. She tells them that she was home alone on the night of the murder, and she specifically mentions that they can ask around because her car was in the driveway all night. So police do. They speak with neighbors who confirm Joan's car was in the driveway all night. But when they speak with one of her acquaintances, Margaret Barrett, they find out that she lent her car to Joan the night of the murder. And that Joan supposedly went and did some grocery shopping in the car, but that she had put 37 miles on the odometer. Okay, hold on. Who needs to You're go 37 me- miles for groceries? Uh, no, that's not even what takes me. What I'm saying is who keeps track of their odometer like that? Oh, back then that was... That was typical. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you have to keep track of it for, like, oil changes, maintenance, because there wasn't, like, service, you know, they didn't have all the fancy, like... There's no light. They didn't print out a sticker to put in your window that says, this is when your next oil change should be. Yeah. Oh. Even when I... so inconvenient. Even in the ancient times that I started driving, I I was told, my parents taught me to keep track of your odometer. I mean, I, I look for mine for the silly numbers. Like when I hit 420 on the thing, that's funny. But I don't like look at it. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't look at the sticker. I needed an oil change for like two months. Oh, no. I told Nicholas (laughs) yesterday. He's like, Savannah, that's how you blow up a car. Yes, that is. See, that was drilled into me by my stepdad who worked on cars when he was young. So that was drilled into me. Keep your dot, like keep track of it because you'll need to know when your oil is due to be changed, when your tires need rotated, that sort of thing. The more you know. The more you know. Well, I mean, I knew you could keep track of when you need an oil change based on your mileage. I did know that. Yeah. But I didn't think about that's why they would be tracking it. Yeah. So, and honestly, like, if somebody borrows your car, it'd be like, yeah, where are you going? Where are you going? So, yeah, she says she went to get groceries. 37 miles. She didn't just go to Erewhon down the street? Who goes 37 miles? Like, and Joan lived in LA. Yeah. So she didn't even live like the Fabianos kind of lived in a suburb outside of LA. She lived in LA. You could have walked 
Yeah. Probably to the closest grocery store. No. She claims she just went grocery shopping. Police obviously still suspect Joan, but there's nothing else to go on, so they have to let her go after they question her. They can't press charges. About a month later, they receive an anonymous call to check a rented locker in a local department store. This was back in the time when, like, the big department stores still had, like, lockers you could rent. I find that fascinating. Yeah. I love, like, there are things like that about that era, the 20s through, like, the early 60s, that things like that. What do you do? Why do you need to Why rent a locker? Rent a locker? In a in a department store. In just like a JCPenney or a Sears. Yeah. Like what do you do? Shout out to JCPenney. That was my first job. I loved it. Nice. So they go and inside they find a 38 caliber caliber pistol. Can't talk. When police check local gun shops because of course this is Well, no, that's not true. They check registration. It's not registered. Okay. They check local gun shops. They find that the pistol had been sold to one Goldine Pizer. Isn't that a fabulous name? Goldine Goldine. She was a lab technician at the Los Angeles Children's Hospital who had no immediate connection to the Fabianos. But they bring her in for questioning, and fortunately, she caved, like, immediately. Yeah. It didn't take much to get her to spill everything. She confessed to pulling the trigger, but she insisted she had, quote, been put under a spell (gasps) by another woman. There's magic, too? I seriously don't know what else this case could possibly have that would make me love it more. That woman was none other than Joan Rabel. <gasps> She's a witch. Goldine tells police that she and Joan had known each other for a few years, but it wasn't until Betty cut ties with Joan that she and Joan had become close. She goes on to explain that the topic of conversation was almost always Betty and Peter Fabiano and how he was evil and abusive. That was Joan's claim. I was going to say, were there reports of that? No. Okay. Not at all. But she was Joan just, she was just a lesbian. Spun this magical story yeah. that Betty was in this abusive marriage and Peter was evil and he treated her awful. And that he was even I think there was in one of the articles that I read, there was even mention that she convinced Goldine that he was in illegal activity, like a drug dealer or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but that was only in one source, so I don't know yeah. how accurate that was. Goldine admits that she believed Joan and she grew to like hate Peter, even though she oh, never I get met that, him. Though. I get that because there's no there's no hate like the kind of hate you share with a best friend who you both just don't like the same person. Yeah. If that's you true. tell me I don't like this person, I don't need a reason. I hate him too. <laughs> Yep, I, I can vouch for that because of someone <laughs> that I complained about and you were immediately like, nope, hate him. Don't, don't want to hear that. Nope. I tried to play a video and you're like, nope, I don't like their voice. <laughs> turn, it, turn it off. Turn it off. You hate him. I hate him. We're done. Like, And I, and I didn't even say that I hated them. I just had issues with them. <laughs> and you're like, nope, nope, 
But I'm like, done. I got bad vibes. Let's be real. Okay. Well, I believe, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> so, and Goldine was very, her, everything describes her as very, like, meek and yeah. mild. Like, she, she seemed, like, all descriptions of her, it seems like she could very easily be taken advantage of. Oh, poor baby. And so it is believable. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All of this makes perfect sense to me. So she admits to police that Joan gave her the money to purchase the gun, and they agreed to shoot him on Halloween night when someone walking around disguised is not going to stand out. Oh, my gosh. They're so smart. Yeah. She should have just picked somebody who wouldn't cave. (laughs) (laughs) or maybe don't kill anybody (laughs) or maybe get over it yeah but you know so joan took goldine in preparation to one of the faviano's beauty shops so she would know who peter was and what he looked like yeah you don't want to shoot the wrong guy yes then joan bar asked margaret barrett to borrow her car and tries to establish an alibi for herself also because I thought that was the whole reason. Yeah. But also then I thought, oh, but wait, she probably also didn't want to drive her own car into the her. Fabiano's neighborhood because people might recognize her because she was so close with them. <gasps> That's why she put so many miles on the car. Yeah. Because she went to the Fabiano. So Goldine dressed in jeans, a khaki jacket, a hat, red gloves, a domino mask. Like the old superhero mask that goes over your eyes and painted her face. Wow. In dark makeup. What a look. What a look. Joan gave her a paper candy like collection bag, like a Halloween treat bag to carry the gun in. (gasps) Oh my gosh, you're joking. No. (laughs) This is the most insane, eclectic case. I'm obsessed. They park outside the Fabianos for a couple of hours. This until- is who I'm dressing up as for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Goldine Pizer. I'm Goldine Pizer. The trick-or-treat murderer. So they park outside for a couple hours until they see the lights go off. Goldine walked to the door alone, rang the doorbell twice, and when Peter answered, she shakily pulled the trigger, sending the fatal shot into his chest. She then sprinted back to the car where Joan kissed her and said, thank you. For killing my <laughs> lover's. My former boss. My former boss and lover's husband. I love you. Let me give you a mooch. No, not I love you. Oh, just, just thank, like, you. thank you. Just okay. thank you. I'm just trying to establish relationships. I'm yeah. a little confused. Yeah. Just thank you. Oh, I always kiss my friends. Thank you. Yeah. Kiss the homies. Good night. They return Margaret's car, forgetting the khaki jacket inside. It's Cinderella's slipper. It's a khaki jacket. And Joan told Goldine, forget you ever knew me. And, this and is they so dramatic. go their separate ways. Like, um, Joan, excuse me, Joan, forget she ever knew you. You just had her kill like, someone. Like, you just had her kill someone. I don't think she's going to oh, be Goldine, quick. Oh, Goldine, just forget you ever knew me. I don't think she's going to be quick to forget <laughs> any of this. And then there's Goldine. Do you want your mask back? <laughs> or do I get, to, can I keep it? That's kind of how she was about the gun. That's why she put it in the storage locker. Because oh. she didn't know. She she got home and realized, Joan didn't tell me 
what to do with the gun. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my lord. Yep. So Goldine went home. She burned the clothes that she had. Is this for- fiction? <laughs> I know it sounds like it. <laughs> she burned the clothes, but she didn't know what to do with the gun. So like I said, then she was like, oh no. What do I do with the gun? So she put it I'll in the know. storage locker. I'll go down to the Sears. Mm-hmm. So obviously they get caught. I mean, that's just... Yeah. I kind of like skipped over. I kind of glossed over that part in my notes. Like, obviously, they get caught. They get arrested. They're initially charged with first-degree murder. Joan pleaded not guilty, and Goldine pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Well, she was She was under a spell. (gasps) She was under a spell. But there is no plea for that, so... (laughs) Well, I think insanity is the plea. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. However, just before their trials, they both cut plea deals for the lesser charge of second-degree murder for a sentence of five years to life. So did she say that, like, Joan had done magic? No, she just meant, like, there was mention of Svengali, but... <laughs> I don't know what that is. I kind of left that out. I'm I I should have looked it up. Okay. I should have looked it up. I left it out because I felt like that was a bit much. Okay. And I <laughs> that was a bit much about this case. And I <laughs> that's true. <laughs> she was carrying the gun in a trick-or-treat bag. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you know. But it wasn't, she didn't say like she actually was. No, magic. I it think was it just... was more just like I was coerced. I yeah. like okay. I don't think she would le- legitimately met. That's fine. That Spell makes more sense. And true magic. Um, your head just went there because you used to work in a medical metaphysical shop. I did. And also because that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> they get five years to life, which is a wide range. Yeah. Like really wide. Well, you know, with their dainty disposition, if they don't do well in prison. Well, that's one of the things, like some people were outraged that they got five years to life because they were outraged because they were saying like courts always go easy on women when they commit crimes and there's some truth to that honestly because well i mean because women were underestimated for yeah for centuries so true to the investigation goldine was visibly weepy throughout the trial and hearings Mm -hmm. When testifying, she looked ashamed, even like outside of the courtroom. You know, she was seen by reporters as looking down, like she's always kind of looking down and looking ashamed. Whereas Joan was stone faced in the courtroom. And outside of the courtroom, she's seen smiling, smirking. Oh, no regrets. No No regrets. regrets. Yeah. The next big question is so. Where does everyone end up? Like, what happened? Yeah. I mean, they did find one source that went on to say that they kind of tracked everybody down. Well, not everybody, but. So it's said that Betty sold the salons after Peter's death. And some sources say she eventually remarried in 1966. Some say she never remarried. I tried looking up, like, public records, but, you know, marriage records are, like, state by state, so, like, she could have moved, she could, like, who knows. Yeah. But she did pass away in 1999 at the age of 81. I was going to say, she was getting up there. 
not much is known about Goldine beyond that, except that um, a source does say she was released from prison sometime before 1971. Well, she's not going to reoffend. No. Like, that was... Unless somebody else She was under a spell. And puts her under another spell. Yeah. Oh, she's prone to those spells. Possibly. Or maybe she learned her lesson. Hopefully. I'm I'm thinking she did, because there's nothing else about her. She died in 1998. Okay. So they were all relatively close in age. Mm -hmm. Betty was actually a little bit younger than Goldine and Joan. Joan was 40 years old. Goldine was like 42, 43. Um, And Betty claimed to be 36 at the time of the shooting. But her death certificate says that she died at the age of 81, which I didn't double check the math, but one source said that would have actually made her 39 at the time of the end. So Betty was... Betty was... But she was a good looking woman, so... So she could get away with it. She could get away with it. The kind of like spooky part of the story is that the full truth behind Joan's motive... And what happened between her and Betty truly is a mystery. Like, obviously, everybody assumes, like, yes, there was definitely something going on. But honestly, I could see a husband, especially back then, telling his wife, I don't like that woman. Like, she's a bad influence on you. I don't like that woman. Or I don't like the way she looks at you. Like, there's no doubt. Obviously, Joan, Joan had strong feelings about Betty but was it that Joan just felt rejected by Betty cutting her off or and she and there wasn't nothing actually happened between them but she was like in love with Betty or were they actually lovers yeah or were they having an affair yeah and then Betty said I'm gonna go back to my husband Joan it's where the children have got to and then Joan was like no you can't do this to me I won't stand for it (laughs) And she didn't stand for it. Also, and Peter fell for it. There's some conspiracy theory that Betty may have put a spell over Joan, who put a spell over Goldine, and Betty wanted Peter dead. But her behavior afterward yeah, didn't really didn't seem that way because she was genuinely upset. And like, this is just a coven. Yeah, they're just spelling each other. <laughs> they're just spelling. They're just. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Spell train. Wow. But nobody knows what happened to Joan. That's the spooky part. Joan did really well in prison, d- I bet. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Did she make it? Did she die in prison? Did she make it out of prison? There's like nothing. She's like a ghost. She vanished. Did she change her identity? That's so crazy. Yeah. That's it. Wow. That's the trick-or-treat murder. That? was way better than anything I anticipated. Like, that was so good. Nice. It's got an affair. It has Halloween. It has mystery. (laughs) It has a cool costume. It had (laughs) a cool costume. Literally everything I could have imagined (laughs) needed in a case. Sorry, folks. That's really cool. Choking on my water. (laughs) Excellent case. Excellent case. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I did. Hope everybody else loved it too. I hope so. All right. So, what you got for us? Today, I have for you the Pensacola Lighthouse. 
Oh. So, I know everybody who thinks of a haunted lighthouse thinks of the same, in Florida specifically thinks of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Yeah, but, but I like the Pensacola Lighthouse a little bit better because I think the stories behind the hauntings are cooler. Okay. So, we're going to get into it. Right. The Pensacola Lighthouse, which is in Pensacola, Florida, <laughs> <laughs> um is has always been changing. It's from the time of its inception, it has been in, like a work in progress up until like more modern times. Okay. 1823-ish, Congress approved $6,000 to be used to, used to build a light station in Pensacola. The basis of the lighthouse started out as a light ship, and then in 1825, a small 40-foot tower with an outdated lens and equipment was built. And then since then, it has turned into a replicated 150-foot tower. Um, it's located at the Pensacola Naval Air Station, and the light goes up to about 190 feet above sea level. So. Wow. Yes. The lighthouse itself has quite a cool history. If you like Civil War history, this is definitely a lighthouse that you'd be interested in. Okay. I'm going to simplify it because I don't love Civil War history. Same. <laughs> it's just not what gets me going. So... Uh, basically, during the Civil War, the lighthouse was kind of a point of contention. It was run by Confederate soldiers, but the fort across the way was run by Union soldiers. Ah. So there was an artillery duel. Oh. And the lighthouse was basically destroyed. It was really damaged. And it was taken over by the Union. And this was in like 1960, 61-ish. Wait, 1960? 1860. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I can't whoa, read. that's... Wait, are, wait, are we talking ghosts? <laughs> yes. Was it the ghosts of the Confederate no, no, Union? No, 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 no. I okay. apologize. No. In 1861. Right. Well, it's like kind of weird, the time frame. Like, it happened in 1861, and then they replaced it. But then when you look at the keepers, the timing is a little weird. That's why I'm saying ish. Like, yeah. You know. Gotcha. It's old history. Sometimes it's hard to find exact years. Yeah. It changes. Anyway, eventually they had to replace the lighthouse. Like, they rebuilt it. It, the use continued. It's still an active lighthouse these days. Um, nice. It's in use. It's helpful. And they have tours. And surprisingly, they are available to civilians because it is on a naval base. That was kind of cool to me. I didn't think yeah. about that. It's bright white at the base and a black top. And there's a small museum in the old keeper's quarters. The museum has living rooms of like what it would have been like to live in those times. Mm -hmm. They have different sections of the museum, including... Like a female lighthouse lighthousekeeper section acknowledging different women who have kept lighthouses over the years, which is really cool. Nice. Because yeah. you don't hear about that much. You hear about it here. There's one here, which is really cool. Nice. I read through some blog posts, like travel blogs, while I was trying to do some research to see if people had had paranormal experiences while they were here. And I then found the creepiest thing about the Pensacola Lighthouse. Oh. It's the wax figures. Oh, yeah. In the living rooms. Uh, yeah. I don't. Uh, no. Oh, and these are bad wax like, figures. I don't these like are bad. Wax. I don't. I'm not a fan of wax oh, figures. Oh, these are these are nightmare fuel. Like, I, oh. <laughs> um, I don't I, I can't. I'm not going to post the pictures on Instagram because I don't want to just straight up steal content, but I will link it in the show description notes. Yeah. Um, It's travelbugs.net. She has some uh, she's an amazing post, a blog post about it and some pictures. But I don't want to steal her content. Her name's Magdalena. I don't want to, yeah. you know. So, But it's there. Highly recommend her blog. I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. I'll so. check it out. Those wax figures, though. 
No, I'm not. Okay, so I've never been to Pensacola, but been to St. Augustine yeah. a couple times. And, you know, they have like a wax museum. Oh, I like, museum. The, I like the wax museum. They're just creepy Their enough. wax museum is in the old, like the back section of the old pharmacy, I believe. Okay. And we did a haunted tour. We're part of the haunted tour. We got to go in there at night. Oh. And I'm already slightly creeped out by wax That's figures. Terrifying. And that that was that was meh. I like wax museums because of how creepy they are. Like they're just the right amount of off yeah. that like <laughs> triggers the paranoia. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is cool, but I'm really freaked out. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I yeah. like them, but I don't think I'll ever go back to one. I've been to like two or three in my life, I think. I'm not like terrified. Like I'll walk through them. Mm-hmm. I can keep my composure. Yeah. But I am very creeped out by them. Yeah. And these were not good. So I don't Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah. Um so let's talk about the lighthouse keepers cuz there have been quite a few. Obviously it's from the 1800s um and the lighthouse has changed hands many a time. The lighthouse did have a lot of keepers and the lighthouse also kept some serious secrets. Ooh. The first pair that led the house was a man named Jeremiah Ingram and his wife Michaela. Jeremiah passed away mysteriously in 1940, and his widow, Michaela, takes over running the property. She runs it from 1940 to 1855. Michaela passes the the house over to her son-in-law, Joseph Palms. He serves the lighthouse until 1958, and then once the property is damaged in the war, they end up rebuilding it. The Congress gave them, like, $25,000 up front and then eventually gave them another $30,000 to refurbish and rebuild. So it's essentially gotcha. a different lighthouse, but also not. Side note, can we just talk about how crazy it is that her name is Michaela? Yeah, it's spelled like Michael, Ayla, Michaela. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I just I just found that interesting yeah, because I that was too. not a name that you expect to hear mm-hmm. in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was cool. Very cool. Yeah. So while Joseph Palms was the keeper of the kind of new, kind of not new lighthouse, in 1875, the lighthouse was struck by lightning twice. So the lightning rod on the lighthouse was rendered defective after the first strike, and then the second strike, in, com- in combination with the first one, melted some of the metal fixtures inside the tower. Ooh. Mm-hmm. In 1877, the torch was passed along to Samuel Lawrence, and then in 1886, Clifford George Clifford becomes lighthouse keeper and his family. Okay. So... Over the last few decades, lighthouse keepers' quarters had been added onto. There was rooms for family, and George and his wife had some kids. His daughter Ella ended up actually getting married on the property, which was cute. Nice. And her and her husband continued to stay there quite a bit. George retires, and he passes it over to a man named James Hatton, who serves for like 22 years before he retired. But for a lot of the time he was serving, he wasn't living on property. He would live in town. And then come in. Yeah. He raised his kids there for like a few years, but then he stopped going. Why? And we don't know why. We don't know. But he would just return each night to tend to the light, which is terrifying. Eventually, the house was cared for by the Coast Guard, and then it was automated. And it's still cared for by the Navy and the Coast Guard today. Yeah. So what fascinated me most about this lighthouse was how much it changed over time, and yet it still held on to so much. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so haunted. 
in case you hadn't guessed this is well really i mean yeah the wax figures yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but i was kind of surprised at how like it held on to all of these spirits because it had been changed so much you know it's not maybe like that's old- what they're upset about maybe we'll get into what they're upset about it, it's not like an old mansion that had been there for like 1800 years or whatever and it was just old it it had been changed and it had actually moved a little bit like crazy. yeah but it also had seen a lot so let's talk about the paranormal stuff that happens at this lighthouse mm. and then we'll get into my theories theories into the theories I always try and look for things of people who worked at the place when I'm looking into paranormal stuff because I feel like even if they're not being paid to, they have the best stories because they're there the most. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Statistically, they're more likely to. So with some digging, you can find some, especially from some of the older, the later year keepers. Okay. They said that there always seemed to be something there. They heard footsteps on the tower stairs when they were supposed to be alone in the building. They heard voices calling to them from nowhere, like they couldn't figure out where the sound was coming from. Yeah. Run report said that the walls seemed to be like they were speaking because they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. It felt like it was coming from inside the walls. Like, okay. So like just within the living quarters or in the actual lighthouse? Everywhere. Oh. There are some crazy stories about inside the tower too. Mm Mm-hmm. So Emmett Hatton, whose dad was James Hatton, okay, was he lived on the property for I think about ten years of his life when he was a kid. He claims that he often heard the sounds of human breathing in the lantern room. He says it was <gasps> not the wind. <sighs> yeah, Hatton also said that he heard footsteps leading to the lantern room and that he would call out to the ghost, but no one would answer. Some of the guest stories from people visiting the lighthouse include objects being thrown. As they're in the keeper's quarters, laughter so ra- so loud that it rattles the windows in the lighthouse, doors slamming on their own, and the unmistakable uns- smell of pipe tobacco upstairs in the tower when there's no smoking. And there's no smoking anywhere on the property, right. but they hear it. They, f- they smell it upstairs. Yeah. Footsteps have been heard going up and down the, the staircase, and a glowing ghost-like form has been spotted in the top window. Others point to the fact that there is n- there's no need for air conditioning in the actual tower. It's always cold. Even on the most hot days. This is Florida, folks. Yeah. And it's cold. It stays at a bone-chilling temperature, one source said. And they always feel like a cold, invisible force is moving up through the tower, quote, inching its way through the cracks and sliding up to them as they make their way up the winding steps to the tower. Oh, that's a creepy description. I know. I, I had to quote it. I think it's from it's from one of the sources listed below. I don't remember which one, but it was so well written. I was like, I got to just read that. It's too good. Oh. Yeah. So how did we get here? Right. I want to know who's laughing. And do they laugh? Are the people living there doing something funny and then the ghost laughs? Or does it just... It just laughs. Laughs. Well, we'll talk about it. I think we have a theory as to who's laughing. Okay. So first, let's go all the way back, rewind, the year 1840, when Jeremiah Ingram was mysteriously found dead. Now, Jeremiah and his wife, Michaela, were running the lighthouse, and Michaela was nervous at first about going to be the the lighthouse keeper's wife, but pretty soon she became infatuated 
with the lighthouse and the property. She kept it spotlessly clean and was always involved in the upkeep of the light. Um, She and Jeremiah were known to argue over methods of taking care of the lighthouse, and she never thought he did it well enough. She thought, like, it's not clean enough in here. Like, he he would maintain the light, and then she'd come in and polish it and make sure it was clean. It was, she was obsessed. So much so. I wish people could see my face. <laughs> that um, people thought she preferred the lighthouse to her husband. Like Michaela. she was obsessed with it. Michaela, that's weird. And to some people, she thought, they thought, oh, she's the perfect person for this job. Yeah. But when Jeremiah died under very strange circumstances, people started to point the finger to her. After all, the two are in the tower alone most of the time. Yeah. And Michaela wasn't seen very often. Anytime Jeremiah would go into town, she stayed with the lighthouse. She did not leave. Yeah. Creepy. <laughs> Michaela, baby. You got to get some sunshine. <laughs> um, it's strongly believed that Michaela got so angry with Jeremiah during one of their fights and their arguments about the care of the tower that she grabbed a large butcher knife and stabbed her husband in the chest. This left a large blood stain on the pine floor because it's wood floor mm-hmm. and a dead husband <laughs> and a trail of blood through several rooms of the house. She claims that it was an intruder, that she went and hid because she was scared and she felt that Jeremiah could handle it. And then when she came out, Jeremiah was dead. But nothing was reported as stolen. Michaela. Oh, no. Well. Michaela then took over the care of the lighthouse for another 15 years until she passed it to her son-in-law. And she passed it to her son-in-law. She did, but I think she she probably just got too old to go up and down the stairs, I'm assuming. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Then she might get over her. I think like 170 steps. Like It's a lot. Yeah. In modern times, when the lighthouse was being redone, there had been tile put over the pine flooring. So they ripped all the tile up and they found the bloodstains. She scrubbed and she scrubbed, but she could never get it out. So they just put tile over it. Anybody who thought that Michaela killed her husband felt like they had enough proof. Because there's so much blood everywhere. And it goes through the whole house. If it had been an intruder, why would they be going around the whole house covered in blood? Yeah. You know? Especially when nothing was stolen. Could Jeremiah be who keeps the lighthouse so cold? Is it Michaela who throws things wanting people out of her precious lighthouse? Could the walls be telling the story of Jer- Jeremiah refusing to concede the house to his wife? Is Michaela the ghostly figure at the top of the tower? Ooh. <laughs> creepy. I have no words. I know. Oh, that's It's a crazy, crazy story. Because then she just continues to be the lighthouse keeper for t- like 15 years. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. How creepy i lighthouses are so creepy in the best way and this is such a good story and Um, then like she leaves it to her son-in-law so obviously she's still like her family didn't abandon her no yeah there are other (laughs) there are other ghosts that's not even the only ghost story no. no there's many 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 stories in fact uh the night tour coordinator rob booth at the lighthouse thinks that they have six He says, we don't like to say that we're haunted. We say that we're occupied by six people who really like it here and choose to stay with us. So he thinks they have six ghosts. That's a very nice way of putting it. I'm not going to get into all six because I feel like, A, you can't find all six because they do ghost stories. You can go in and hear the history of the house and they'll tell you all the spooky stories and you can do like an overnight hangout there, which is really cool. 
Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more about three more theories. Okay. Okay. Do you remember Ella Clifford? George Clifford kept the yes. house and she got married yes. to her husband, Ernest, yes. on the property. Okay. Well, in 1911, she also died on the property in oh, childbirth, no. oh. which is a traumatic and violent way to die. Oh. It's horrible. Yes, it is. Uh, most ghost hunters feel like they have communicated or heard from Ella in the room where she died. Did the baby survive? I don't know. There mm, has been sad. a lot of like ghost shows and ghost hunters who've been through the property and they all have really cool stories about her room and talking to her like they'll run their devices and things will pop up it's pretty cool terrifying though because childbirth is a horrible way to die it's violent it's it's not it's not fun you know no there are also two children who claim to haunt the house as well little ghost kids terrifying these are who laugh oh yeah Joey and Lizzie were two children who died of yellow fever in the home in 1922. They run through the hallways wreaking havoc with the guests. They like to walk through the guest, so they'll be, like, really cold in the middle of their body because the ghosts walk through. No. Yeah, and then they'll laugh, and the tour guides say they like when they make fun of the guests or they're teasing the guests because they know exactly who's doing it. They know oh, that it's Lizzie children. and Joey. Oh my gosh. That's worse than the the little kid that haunts the place we went to in Savannah, Georgia, that ties um people's shoes <laughs> together. That's funny. They said some guests as they're standing there, like discussing mm-hmm. whatever, and then they'll go to walk and their shoe they like trip and fall or so almost funny. fall because their shoes have been tied together. I love it. So this is the third and final theory. Well, I think this might be the fourth. No, third. No, fourth. Can't count. <laughs> it's fine. And this one, to some people, is kind of out there. But I, I, I get the theory. I am here with it. Okay. Some believe that the lighthouse would have been haunted anyway, without any of the murders or people dying. Okay. Because if you look at the astronomy charts or the flow of the grid, of, you know, the magical grid that's in the sky. Yes. <laughs> the house is situated on a vortex, an energy vortex. Oh. So energy vortexes tend to be places where ghosts can get through the veil and be there. So sometimes when you find a place that's haunted for no reason or you can't figure out why there's a ghost there, it's because it's sitting on a vortex. And it's like places like the Bermuda Triangle where just weird stuff happens and yeah. there's not always an explanation for it. Some people say that the Pensacola Lighthouse is one of these vortexes. That okay. The energy is just weird and that there's stuff coming in and out all the time. I feel like, I don't know about the Pensacola Lighthouse, but I know vortexes are like a thing. Okay. Because my old house was a vortex. Oh. Like, there was no reason for it to be haunted, but it totally was. Okay. So, we had all these issues, and I finally told my parents, I was like, look, I'm not having a good time. (laughs) Like, this isn't going great for me. This is not fun. And I was telling them, and even my brother, who I am surprised, he popped up and was like, oh, yeah, no. Like, she's not lying. Yeah. Weird stuff. Yeah. Because my brother's not, like, a skeptic when it comes to ghosts, but he's not like me. He's not going to say, like, oh, yeah, there's a ghost. Yeah. You know? I'm I, I'm skeptical. I'm logical, but I'm going to lean into ghost. Yeah. He's not. So for him to say, oh, yeah, she's not joking. Yeah. That, like, I think that made my parents take it a little seriously. And my dad looked, and there was, like, no reason for the house to be haunted. Right. So... 
but there was and there were several different entities in the home yikes i didn't know that yeah you had told me that you thought it was haunted but mm-hmm. i didn't know by several oh yeah we dog sat a lot and so there would be different spots in the house where the dogs would bark at like nothing so nothing yeah different dogs barking oh, at different the same dogs spot start barking at the same spot the first thing they would always bark at is like the entryway to the house there's nothing there yeah so i understand why people think that some places are just meant to be haunted because sometimes they just are yeah it's places where the veil is thinner spirits yeah. can get through so some people think that's why the pensacola lighthouse is haunted i think that there's just been enough death on the property that it's totally true you know yeah that makes sense yeah you can tour the pensacola lighthouse you can do ghost tours and overnight tours it's super cool I would love to do an overnight tour with those uh, <laughs> wax figures. No. It's so creepy. So that is the strange story and theories of the Pensacola Lighthouse. That is spooky. Yeah. I think the laughing wouldn't be as spooky being kids. Yeah. Like when you first described laughing and I'm assuming, oh, it's probably haunted by old keepers. So well, it is old men <laughs> doing old man like laughter. Yeah, Ugh. that's what I envisioned. Yeah. So little kid laughing wouldn't be at. I mean, but it's, it's still, so loud that it rattles the windows. Still, yeah, it would still startle you and yeah, yeah. spook you. But it like I was envisioning like a really creepy old man laugh. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah, but Michaela. Come on now. Michaela wanted that lighthouse to herself. I totally think she killed him. I mean. The blood stains all over the house. Are you kidding? Why would an intruder come in and just stab him and then leave? Yeah. <laughs> like, what purpose? Also, it's on a naval base. It was on the naval base at that time? Yeah, that's why the, That's why Congress built. had it built. Yeah. Because it's where the Navy was. So... Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. They didn't harm you. They just stabbed your husband. Nothing was stolen. They didn't steal anything. And they walked around With dripping blood. Everywhere. Not buying it, Michaela. <laughs> Apparently somebody bought it. Yeah, but there's that thing again, just like in our first case. Yeah. Going easy on the women. Hey. Underestimating the women and their love of lighthouses. Listen, she <laughs> and that lighthouse had a connection that nobody else could understand. Nobody else knew how to polish the light. <laughs> yeah, because she said the oil that they used to light the light with made it dingy and gross, and so she would polish it. Nobody polishes like Michaela. Nobody polishes like Michaela. She's got that elbow grease. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going <laughs> to do? I think that this was a great Halloween episode. Yes. Well, thank you. Yes, I hope you, everybody has a very happy Halloween. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this Halloween's since then, I hope that it's really cool and there are some like future cool Halloween stuff. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Okay, Bye. you made it to the end. You know what time it is. Winner time. It's time to announce the winners of our Halloween giveaway. Yes. So uh, as the younger one, it's Christmas present rules. I'm going to go first. <laughs> it's not christmas though no that's fine well it's halloween but you get the idea yeah okay ready 
picking a paper. We're, <laughs> we're drawing. So dramatic. So dramatic. Da, 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 da. The winner of the Gen Z gift set is Katie. We'll DM you on Instagram to get that all set up. And I'm so excited. This is so cool. Okay. Okay. My turn. Okay. The winner of the Gen X gift set. I'm like really reading this. <laughs> I'm like really into it. Sorry. I know you can't see me. Anyway, the winner of the Gen X set is Fernanda. Again, we'll DM you. Yay. Thank you so much to everybody who entered and left us reviews. We appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the growth we've seen over the last few months. Hello to all our new listeners. Absolutely. Thank you to the old ones. Yes. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at burdenofproofpod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.